You're now listening to episode 113 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Castelli joined here today with Brock Hollyman, founder of Hollyman Capital Group, a Florida-based built-to-rent construction company. In today's episode, we discuss how Brock started his career in real estate at the bottom of the market back in 2011, his build-to-rent business model that is attracting investment capital with no end in sight, the current state of the rental markets in Florida, the real estate professional status, and much more. Hey, Brock, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a little information on your background and how you got involved with real estate? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess I'll make a long story short here. Um, back in high school, I really wasn't much of the, like the, the school guy. I didn't really like to go to class that much, to be honest. So, um, and if you fast, go back there at the year, I, was, I graduated high school in 2011, like right in the middle of the the great recession and so there was a ton of opportunity as far as foreclosures go Um, and back then i had a lawn business in high school and what i did was go around to a lot of the local banks and pick up their their foreclosures to go to go mow all their yards and then i thought man these houses are just vacant um how can i figure out more about this stuff so i just started skipping school instead of going to party and stuff i was going down to the uh the courthouse steps and I would just check out these foreclosure options, um, met some people there, and it only took a couple of weeks really to, to build some relationships. And um, you could give like 48 hours, 72 hours to pay for the bids. So I would just win properties that I didn't have any money to pay for, and then go on the public records, find some, some investors that were buying in the area, and tell them, hey, we got to close within three days. And I would just, get them to wire the funds and cap a little bit off the, the extra and get the refund check sent over to me. Um, so that's, that's really how I got started. And then it kind of evolved into what we're going to talk about today, which is the building. And I mean, it's, we're just, I'm just ready to adapt, I guess, on whatever, whatever side the market takes. But back then you couldn't build and make a profit um, because things were selling for cheaper than, than it would it cost to build them. So, um, as the market prices went up and they rose, um, I kind of adapted and went from the buying the, the foreclosure houses at the steps with other people's money to buying them and doing some light rehabs and doing some bigger rehabs. And um, now we're at the point where we're, we're building new construction. So in a nutshell. So that would have been, you, know, you were like 17, 18 years old. Yeah, going down and, and sourcing investors. I mean, how does that even work? Like, you you don't have a name for yourself. I'm assuming at that point. So how do you just randomly email investors and and hope yeah, they call, bite? How did that work? Yeah, just cold call, man. Picking up the phone. I mean, that's really the biggest the biggest tool in the tool belt is the is your phone. Um, and I'd say the biggest resource out there is public records and. Anybody that says they can't find a buyer, or sell, I mean, in today's market, it's, it's, there's so much money floating around as far as wanting real estate and wanting good deals. I mean, it's, 
if you can find the deals, then you can you can easily find the the other side to make the deal work. You know. Yeah, I gotta say, <clears throat> when when I was first searching for the first property that I did, uh, we had phone records of all the buyers. Oh, excuse me, of all the owners in the market that we wanted who who owned properties, and we would just smile and dial, call down that list, and uh, you know some deals, you know, got pretty far down the due diligence process. Other ones went nowhere. Um, but sometimes that's all you have to do is just, uh, pick up that phone. So, uh, you know, credit to you for, for, for taking that initiative. Um, so kind of, uh, transitioning more to where we are today, uh, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about, uh, the, the construction business you currently operate and your, uh, build to rent model? Yeah, for sure. So fast forward to today, back then that was in, uh, that all started in Memphis, Tennessee. That's where I was born and, and raised. And, um, now as, things have evolved. I mean, I quickly realized that that wasn't really the market that I wanted to, to be in, you know, and, and build a, a solid career or, you know, a life out of that real estate market. So I, I, I bounced around to a few different places, um, ended up in central Florida, um, which is where I am right now. And I, I love it here. Um, but really I like, I like the build to rent model and it, I started doing it back in Memphis, which Memphis is a, is a huge rental market. So it's, it was very successful there. Um, but at the same time, it just gets a little boring up there to be real. Like uh, Florida is a lot, there's a lot more things to do and it's a lot better lifestyle to work here. I mean, cause I'm working, it feels like every second of the day, every day that, that comes up on the calendar is a work day and why not enjoy the place that you have to work. So that's why I'm here. Um, and then it looks like everybody in the nation is moving down here when you look at the news. So it works out pretty well to the point where we're in the suburb markets where the build to rent market kind of, it still works. There's a lot of markets where it's gotten pushed out of, um, especially down here where the prices rise and the rental rates aren't rising um, quick enough to make up for, you know, the cash flow that the investors are looking for or that we're looking for. Um, but we keep it very simple. Um, I'm actually, our office is one of the models that I'm in right now. So we, we build one single family house um, plan. It looks great. And you can see it on, on the web. I mean, we, you can tell that a, a trendy guy has picked all the finishes. And with, with that, it, it gives the, the tenants, they, like, they treat the place like it's a, a new house because it is a new house. But you see a lot of other build to rent owners out there, builders out there that do, okay, it's a rental property. So we're going to build a stick frame house in Florida where a hurricane might come up every few years, you know, and my houses will still be standing and not a shingle will be blown off the roof because we're building it as if it were a retail house. Um, any property that we're building, or if we have a buyer that drops out, we've made a pact that we're just going to keep that property and hold on to it for a long-term rental. So anything that we build, uh, for investors or for the tenants, whoever see that you want to look at this perspective in, I mean, we're building it to, to last. We're building it with quality finishes that will bring, like I said, to bring higher rents, okay, and more respect from the tenants. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it just works. Like, for example, we've got all tile flooring in, in all the houses. Um, no carpet needs to ever be cleaned or, or replaced. Um, we use solid wood cabinets so that none of that, you know, we get a leak and the tenant doesn't report it. So then you've got a cabinet, so you've got to replace cabinets when you have the, 
the uh, particle board cabinets. All of our countertops are quartz, which um, I was happy to see even in the, this, uh, the COVID stuff. I hate to even say that word, but um, you know, during this, the CDC even came out and said, okay, quartz countertops are the new recommendation as far as spreading germs or anything like that because they're so non-porous and just, just like the whole nine yards. I mean, we built a really nice modern looking house um, and it just brings higher rents and better returns. So, Well, why, why do you call it build to rent? Uh, why not just call it building and you're just selling it to investors? Like what, what's the difference between, between actually building a house for retail purposes versus building a house for rental purposes? So I guess the only real difference would be the area and do the numbers work, okay? Uh, and when it's, it's, that's only from our model, okay? But when you go look at, for example, there's a lot of, there's a lot of big billion dollar market cap, multi-billion dollar market cap builders out there that are doing the build to rent model. But if you walk into one of their retail homes and then you walk into one of their build to rent homes, you can see a quality difference. Um, from our end, I mean, I just call it build to rent just because every home that we're putting in the ground, um, we're going into it with the intention to rent the property out or it's an investment property. Um, but if you, if you had on one of the other, like a big time builder on here that's, that's got a ton to play with and they still, they still rely on their retail market game, you'll see a difference in there and you would think it'd be the other way around, to be honest, if you're going to build a rental property, you'd want it to, you know, withstand or go through a lot of, uh, you know, bad tenants if they spill stuff or they've got dogs that that pee on the floor or something like that. You know, you just want it to be as tenant-proof as possible, and we kind of we kind of use that term when we're we're dealing with the investors because that's really what it is. I mean, uh, you get somebody that moves out; it's a simple turn instead of replacing a bunch of stuff and you know, the whole nine. So. Gotcha. So it more or less sounds like you're building it with the intention with it, with the end in mind, if it's going to be going to a renter or not an end buyer and you want to make sure you minimize pretty much the maintenance that you have to do on the property, you know, as and at a the renter same time it. to add on to that point. Um, so investors buy stuff, you buy stuff. We all buy rental property, not just for the cash flow, but in 10 years, five years or 20 years, really, you want the appreciation to be there and really isn't going to appreciate as much as the, uh, you know, the house next door, the retail house that had all the, the nice finishes and the upgrades and it's built out of block. I mean, you want it to go up just in price. You don't just want to get your cash flow and pay your mortgage payment and then not appreciate as much as your neighbors did just because you did a, like a build to rent quality, you know? Um, so that's the good thing about ours. Like you, you move in or you have tenants move in and they can move out in five years. I can guarantee you that these, this style and this finishes are not going to go anywhere. Not in the next five, probably not in the next 10 years. So. So, so I know that you had mentioned that you, you keep some of these for yourself, your own, your own rentals. Um, is there, is there a certain way you determine how, whether or not you want to keep it for yourself or that you're going to sell it or is like, how does that process work for you? Really, um, it's, it's difficult to turn down a profit um, to build and sell, okay? But the thing, is, like, I, like we started off, I said that I got started when I was late 17, okay? Every deal that I've been a part of, and I know that it was, I started at the bottom of a, you know, 
a bottom of a crash. So realistically, anything that I did buy and anything I did sell should be worth more today than it was when I bought it. But every single deal, and I'm and it's over 500 different properties, they're worth more now than they were when I sold them. So it, it kind of hurts every time that we sell one, to be honest, even though you, you, make, a, you make a decent profit, but you're taxed on that, that profit, as you all know. And I don't like that. I like to, I want to keep the properties and I want, I want the long-term generational wealth, the, you know, the financial freedom that if I don't want to wake up until nine o'clock today, then nothing's going to happen wrong, you know? So uh, there's really, with that being said, no particular formula as far as we need to keep this one or that one really it's because we have such a long list of buyers waiting on us for us to buy more lots so they can go under contract and buy investment property off of us. It makes it difficult. So we just came up with a pack that any of them that fall out of contract, because you do have some investors that get their, you know, they get cold feet or something falls through with the financing or something. If anything falls through, um, we made a pact that we're just going to keep it. We're not going to try to attempt to resell it uh, or anything like that because before we're even done with these properties, when we get to the block stage, we're already trying to lease these properties out and market them for rent. So most likely before, like, and I can't, over 50% of the properties that we build, the day that we get a CO and the day that there's a final cleaning, there's somebody moving in. And it's not like we had a week of downtime in between, okay, well, we need our final inspection and our final cleaning. So, I mean, these properties are moving and it's it's a growing growing market down here. Um, and it's, you know, why not keep anything that falls out? If it's somebody else lost their investment, I'd, I'd be more than happy just to, to keep it ourselves. So that's what we've been doing. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And I, and, and, you know, and, you know, you mentioned it before, basically investors are just, you know, clamoring to buy these properties. Um, shifting like kind of gears to the demand, supply and demand side of things on the renter market. Um, how is, how is the current state of the construction industry, especially where you're at is supply still, you know, still very short and demand very high. Yes. Um, and then every day it gets a little bit crazier. Okay. It gets a little bit crazier every single day. Um, and like you can't even last Friday, like I turned on, it was Fox business. They, they were on there talking about, it was like a 15 minute segment about all these people leaving, um, these big cities. And it didn't say that they're moving just to the suburbs. They, they literally said, they're fleeing the big cities and they're moving to Floridian suburbs. And it's, it, it's no lie. I, and I feel like a liar even saying this, but over 50% of our applicants, I think it's more like 75. I really want to run a, like data numbers on this, but are from New York. Uh, so it's, you would think we're actually in New York city. If you see all the applicants come up with their previous you know, employment and their, their address histories and all that stuff. But the, the great thing is on like, they're you look at it great or bad, but they're leaving these one bedroom, two bedroom apartments in Brooklyn or Queens or uh, the Bronx or anywhere. And you see what they're paying and we, we call their landlord and yes, some of them are locked in on those old landlord laws where they're, they're locked in. They pass down a lease for $400 a month over a generation. But a lot of these people are paying $2,500, $2,800 a month for a one bedroom, two bedroom, 
and they get to come down here and start fresh in the middle of this pandemic. They come down here and start fresh while crazy stuff's happening. They love it. They, they're excited about it. They're coming down here and by the busloads. I mean, it's, it's insane. Um, so the demand is super hot. Um, and then you add that in with even the people here, because we're out in the, uh, the outlying suburb areas. Even people are moving from Orlando um, to our little suburbs out here in the Kissimmee, the Point Siena area. We just started looking, I spent all weekend down south looking at some more suburbs that are extremely hot. And yeah, you can't build them fast enough for the tenants or the investors. I mean, that's a that's a great problem to have. Yeah, that's a great problem to have. And I could tell you straight up, that's hundred percent true. Uh, people from New York are looking to leave New York and move to Florida. It's a very common spot that New Yorkers try to move to. So, completely agree with you there. And, and I, real quick, I just kind of wanted to jump in. Um, do how how has the demand at least in your experience over the past few months how has that demand kind of morphed did it start off pretty sharp with like the was it fear based demand or is it pretty steady and people are just consistently trying to to get out of the big cities so if you look at the if you look at the last or the year to date chart on the the dow jones okay it like paints a beautiful picture to answer that question so right before all this stuff happened, I mean, we were making up plan, setting plans up because we're just a small company, to be honest, compared to a lot of these big guys. But we uh, we hired on a couple people and we're sitting there, we're, we're getting more leverage out so we can do more and and all that. And I had a waiting list of, and no kidding, 180 investors waiting for houses. Uh, and overnight, <laughs> overnight that, list went away. It, it, it took about three days because that was a mix, mixture between uh, mom and pop investors, um, then some, some guys that you know have 10, 20 properties, and then a um, big chunk of those, I'd say probably a hundred of them were um, like institutional guys. So I, I like to, I really enjoyed working with the, the hedge funds. They're very easy to work with as far as the, the build process, contract process, closing, all that stuff. A lot of less headaches. Um, so yeah, we were, we were working with those guys as well. And overnight it was just like, went out in the, into the abyss, went down deep down and yeah, it took about a month. I'd say and when that government assistance money started rolling out, the, 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 the buy pressure started to roll back in and people realized that, okay, Americans are a smart group of people. When they get their money, they are going to pay their, their, uh, their leases and or their rent payments and all that stuff. Um, so it's it's back. And the fact that you you pair that with the interest rates for some of these investors are. I mean, I saw one the other day. They're buying it from us under two point eight eight percent. It was it's crazy. So um, that and then rental prices now starting to actually go up. Um, with all that, I mean, it's just, it's just a recipe for success for the investors. So the demand is back for now and I'll knock on the wood because you know, that, that last situation kind of hit us out of nowhere, but you know. Well, I mean, I'll say this is, this is not investment advice by any means, but interest rates are super low and, uh, inflation, uh, the, the government's printing a ton of money and they want to do more to make inflation go up even more. Right. So there's a ton of people out there who are looking to get their money out of cash, uh, and move it into investment property. So I'm not at all surprised to hear that 
investors are lining up in droves for these types of properties. Um, kind of moving to the construction process a little bit. Um, we have a lot of listeners on the show who do you know extensive rehabs and maybe not ground up development necessarily. But what are the key aspects you look at before starting a new construction uh, project? Yeah. So first thing, um, because we don't want to switch our model. We love the model. Um, and if anything does happen to the market, that's crazy. Like we're, we were fully prepared to, to keep all the properties. I think we had, we had 14 under construction when and 14 of the, or 12 of the buyers dropped off within a couple of days for those 14 under construction with many more in the pipeline. We don't, you still have a sense of security a little bit being in an area that you, uh, if the numbers make sense for, for the investors buying them after your little profit is in there um, and they pay the, their loan fees and all that, then uh, they still have their numbers work for cash flow. Then our numbers will definitely work at our build costs for cash flow. So it kind of, it's kind of, we don't want to change our model up as far as that goes. So any areas where the numbers work for the build to rent model, um, that's, that's the first key. Um, and then the second key is we want to make sure that our, that our floor plan fits. Okay. It's not like we don't want to get creative, but you know, the last, I'd say five years before this year, I was, we were doing all kinds of different builds. I mean, like more custom stuff and more, more like 500 K and up. And this was in Memphis. So like, that means a lot. Like if you pay 500 K for a house in Memphis, like you're, you know, you're Fred Smith there. So like it's, it's, it's uh, a mansion, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like a huge hat. You're, you're a baller. In Memphis with that. <laughs> uh, but you know, you go up to New York, then, you know, you're, you're living in Harlem or Bronx. So, and, that's even if 500,000 will get you there. I'm not very sure, but now, now come down here, it's, you can tell it's, it's going up um, and it's headed towards that direction um, with that inflation thing you touched on. But yet we wanna make sure that our house plan fits because we know it works. And it's like just our single family house, it's four bed, two baths, split floor plan, very open, very, very modern floor plan. And we don't want to change it up on our people. We want to, we just now started getting into the groove of a system. Um, once I figured out what a system was, um, but now we don't want to mess the system up. So we need to make sure that our, our floor plan fits on it. Now that's probably not something that everybody else is going to put on their criteria or their checklist. Um, but yeah, if our, if the numbers work, if we're in a high growth area, um, which you see on the news all the time, then we're, we're in the right ballpark here. Um, as far as what we're going to do to choose, choose a lot or an area. Um, and then one other big thing is, is to verify your impact fee costs. Cause you have some areas down here growing so quickly. Um, I, before I moved here, I didn't even know what the hell an impact fee was. Okay. Hmm. And in Memphis, it was, you pull a permit, you pay $400, you build a house. It doesn't matter if it's a $2 million house. It doesn't matter if it's a hundred thousand dollar house. It's around $400 to pull a permit. Now, down here, it varies by county. And like, for example, this one subdivision we're building in now, um, it shares two counties. One county, it costs around $13,000 for impact fees. The other county, it costs $28,000 for impact fees. And you're not gonna get, I mean, it's probably a $50 uh, rent bump on one side of the county. Um, so it's, you, we're careful with that kind of thing, but I'm, I guess my checklist or criteria that we're talking about is more specific to my area in particular. 
you know how trends repeat themselves, especially like clothing trends, you know, you, the, the stuff that you wore when you were in high school, you like laugh about and then it kind of comes back around and you're like, holy crap. Uh, do you think that open concepts are ever going to go out, go out the window and it's going to like ever re- resort back to some sort of like boxed off floor plan you know, that we used to see in the 80s and 90s, I guess? I'll, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, no, I don't think that's going to happen. But at the same time, uh, I'm, you know, we're all usually wrong about that stuff over time anyhow. But then back in the, in the eighties and nineties, uh, gold fixtures were in, I mean, they probably said, Oh no, nobody would ever want anything but these gold or brass fixtures. (laughs) Yeah. Now they all want, and back then they were saying Chrome, Chrome was cheap. Uh, Chrome was cheap. Now I put chrome and, and brushed nickel and every, everything. The silver's where it's at, you know? So Yeah, but gold's a good example because I guess gold's kind of coming back now, especially in those farmhouse-style builds. Um, yeah, and, and that was – I have done some of those over the last couple of years where I'll do – like I'll have a, a black and gold finished bathroom or something, and it actually looks yeah. really hot. You know? Like it looks super good. Um, but, but, yeah, but the you know, the brass, the gold and brass – handrails and plumbing fixtures all throughout the house and stuff i don't i mean if that's back i didn't know it was i just learned something um but yeah (laughs) it's always funny because my my wife and i have picked up a few properties and we always go in to start that rehab process and we start joking about how poor of a taste the prior or the the originators of the house had or whoever did the rehab had like years and years and years ago right but then we're also sitting there laughing like man our kids are going to say the same thing about us one day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> here we are thinking stainless steel appliances are the hot thing. And one day it's going to be like, I don't know, plasma appliances or some, something weird. Like, <laughs> I, yeah. And I actually like the new ones. Those, those gunmetal black appliances. Yeah. 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 Those are really yeah. cool too. But yeah, the green carpet though. Y'all aren't putting green carpet in there. No, 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 no. But green carpet will probably come back too. Just like gold fixtures do. So never, never count it out. Right. <laughs> Are, y'all, are you doing the gold or the brass? Or are you doing like the, the champagne bronze? Or You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's not the champagne bronze. So in our prior house uh, that we actually just got rid of today, actually, um, well, hopefully about an hour ago. We haven't heard anything from the closing attorney yet, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, but that one we put gold fixtures in. It was like a brushed gold. It actually looked really yeah. nice, kind of like a farmhouse style uh, look and feel. So. Yeah, yeah, that's the same thing we did. The brush gold. I, yeah. I thought that looked the shiny gold. I don't know, not so much. I don't know if that's back yet. <laughs> yeah, I think there's like a difference between you know, like a mobile home park gold doorknob versus uh, <laughs> yeah, not to say I, that's a bad yeah. doorknob necessarily. It's just not the type of gold we were putting in our rehabs. <laughs> I know you, you're doing 24 karat, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't know about that either. But... Brush, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's just interesting. I, I just didn't know from like a builder perspective if you uh, if you kind of had any like insight on those types of trends that were going on. And well, with that said, also just so that when I do that that kind of stuff, it is more in like the custom stuff. Like, oh, I'm gonna actually have some fun with this and go pick out some different tile for this bathroom. But these, we're keeping it very. It's it's like apartment style. Uh, it's not like apartment style grade or anything like that, but we're keeping it very uniform. Like if five years from now we get a tenant that calls here or they call them South Florida or we've got to replace some tile, we know it's the same tile we put in. We know the paint color. We know everything that went in there and it all looks good. And if it, 
starts to go out of style, then yeah, you can bet that we're going to rearrange that. But we want to keep it more, like I was saying, more systematized. And it's really been able to help us ramp up volume a lot more, you know? Yeah, well, it helps with scalability. Whenever you can standardize anything top to bottom, you can scale faster. You can drive better profitability through process improvement. You know, you're not like trying to custom quote or scope everything that you're doing. And you, you create like a, a, a known variable and a lot of unknowns, right? That's what running a business is. There's a lot of unknowns. So if you can create some sort of known items or, or systems or processes, then you can, you can kind of tackle the rest of the unknown as it gets thrown your way. A million percent. Yeah. So just, just quick question. Uh, speaking of the process and the system you're using, uh, do you, do you use the same teams, the same construction teams over and over again, or are you constantly like having to rehire new, 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 new players in that, in that game, if you will? Well, look, I, I love, I love our, our crews. I love our team. Um, with that being said, nobody's ever safe. Okay. Um, everybody, everybody's has the ability to be on the chopping block if they don't hit our schedules and hit what we need to do. But I, we're not some hard nosed people that, and we are, we pay the same week that they get the jobs done. Okay. So they're very loyal to us. We got, we do use the same crews. Um, there's just some of the trades where they just can't keep up quick enough. Like now we're, we had 10 slabs go in the ground last week and we used one concrete crew. That was a mistake. We're, we're ironing out some of the mistakes, like our block crews, our concrete crews. We do need to have two more crews ready to go. And it's more of the talking with these subs and letting them know, hey, don't get offended if you go by one of our houses and you see another crew on there, like you're still getting the work. We just need to work together. You know what I mean? It's, we're, we're at that stage, but all of our main trades, uh, like our framers, our mechanical contractors, our electricians, our plumbing, all that is uniform across the board um, in this area that we're in right now. Now, in the next two months, probably in the next one month, we're gonna start buying um, some more lots in other areas that are not close enough to use the same crews. So we will expand our crews and our subcontractors at that time. But right now, mainly it's you go to one job, you know who did who did the work, as long as they can keep up. So that's good. Consistency is always key. So switching gears again a little bit, uh, just kind of wanted to get an idea of you know what type of uh, what type of tax strategies do you use to minimize your taxes uh, for your business? Well that is where you guys come in. Okay. Um, I just, and I feel so far behind okay, because I know a lot of your listeners are probably like they're diehards. Okay. But I just discovered you guys like a month ago, I, ca I called up and sent a request to meet with Brandon and we met for a little bit and then he hooked me up and we're now I'm with working with Taylor. Um, and I'm excited to see what's going to come out of this because I know you guys know what the hell you're talking about and not a lot of people do. And that's the, that's the problem. I've talked to many CPAs, but it feels like I know more than they do. So it's good to, to know some people that work in the same field. Okay. But as far as I know, uh, tax strategies that I'm going to be taking advantage of that y'all are helping me with. Um, so the, the building them and keeping them and taking advantage of that bonus depreciation, that's, that's a big, big thing. And I can kind of, um, we can offset some of the, the profit income coming in from the build and sales um, and offset that with some of the depreciation uh, coming through from the ones that we hold. 
which is fantastic. That right there will probably make it work. You know, I would never want to show my tax returns either. So because uh, it would it would probably show zero. So um, and, I, and I'm I'm proud to come out and say that. But you know, that's that's what you guys are going to help me with, and I'm super super stoked for that because um, I'm tired of writing big big checks to to that three letter word. So. You shouldn't be, man, unless it's intentional with what you have going on. The way that your facts and circumstances are structured. You know, we, we, we talk about real estate professional status a lot on our on the episodes that we've had on the Real Estate CPA podcast in the past. And um, it's, it's a highly litigated piece of the tax code. So if you're going to be a real estate professional, you want to make sure that you are actually a real estate professional. And Brock here is a perfect example of somebody that is legitimately a real estate professional. He does it full time. That's all he does is construction, building, and then he's got rentals as well. So what does Brock have to do? Everybody say it with me. If you listen to all the other podcasts, you have to also materially participate in your rental activities, which Brock will do with our assistance and help. Uh, but maybe we should bring Brock back on like six months from now and just ask him what, what, that, uh, what that refund looked like. <laughs> give, give Taylor some public accountability, right? Yeah, yeah. some before and after. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, get like the Facebook ads um, going where Brock's like, you know, like before he's like, like all ragged out and just stressed. And then after he's like, got like the new dentures and everything. Yeah. <laughs> just super that. like, you know, like the sun's on him, the wind. <laughs> oh yeah. And we'll save that clip, put it in the audit file. Okay. Yeah, Brock is a real estate professional. That way they can't question. They're not going to question you go. real estate CPA podcast. No. There you go. Here and now we set it. Uh, but no, but yeah, so re real estate professional status, you have to work 750 hours in a real property trader business and more than half your time has to be in a real property trader business. So if you're like Brock, where all you do is real estate and you're good, right? You've already hit that, that first threshold or that first hurdle. The second hurdle is the material participation. You have to materially participate in your rental real estate activities. So if you're self-managing the rental real estate, if you've got a property management team in place that, you're, that you've built out, you're gonna hit that material participation piece as well. And when you can do that, the rental losses become non-passive. And that's what we're really after. When we can hit that, that's the apex of tax planning. Because now, like you said, Brock, it's just all about the cost segregation studies. Uh, we, we wanna run the cost segregation studies to accelerate our first year losses. And then we get to take those rental losses and offset all of our other income. And in Brock's case, gets to offset his net income from his building, uh, which is awesome. The other cool thing that Brock's got going for him too is since he's building all the properties himself, guess what? He has all the cost data. So that, those cost seg studies could theoretically be cheaper uh, to administer because he's already got all the data. Uh, they could be more accurate. And, uh, and Brock himself could potentially, and we're not going to probably turn you loose with this, but theoretically Brock himself could run his own cost seg studies with the help of the CPA. So there's a lot of cool things. When you're your cost segs, okay? I'll do all of them for you. There you go. See? <laughs> yeah. And, and if you have impeccable records and budgets and detail, you're pretty, you've pretty much done your own cost seg study. That's the nice thing about building uh, ground up. So. And it's the same damn plan every time. So that makes it a little easier. Well, yeah, there you go. Yeah, you've got all your cost data. Uh, so you, you might not even need to do the cost tech study. But yeah, so a lot of good things there. When you are full-time in real estate, you can really avoid those uh, th those taxes. And that, that compared to somebody that like works in San Francisco as a tech person or a physician or somebody in New York City who's an investment bank. Those people have full-time jobs 
that are not real estate related. And it's really difficult to game that real estate professional system. Um, and, and it's typically not recommended to do unless you can legitimately qualify and legitimately qualifying means that you either have to have a spouse that doesn't work or you have to take a backseat in your job. You have to really step it down, you know, go part-time or very part-time in order to really withstand any sort of IRS challenge that, um, that comes in and scrutinizes your, your hours spent in real estate versus your hours spent in employment. So that's the, that's the challenge. But, but I, like, I like talking to folks like Brock because the real estate professional status at that point is just a total shoe in. And now it's just a matter of how do we want to cut this up? Uh, we can kind of control Brock's tax liability at the end of the day, which is nice. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So Brock, if, if our listeners wanted to learn more about you, um, perhaps maybe their investors looking to invest, uh, how, how would they be, how, how, what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, for sure. So you can, you can email me, uh, directly. Um, if you're interested in, in getting any investment properties and I'm telling you they're, they're fantastic. If anybody's thinking about taking advantage of these rates, um, and trying to find some quality properties in areas that look to be appreciating where people are pouring into them, just send me an email. It's Brock, B-R-O-C-K, at HollimanCapital.com, H-O-L-L-I-M-A-N-C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. Um, and then you can also look at our website and kind of see, see what we do, um, kind of get an idea of our, of our finishes and what our product looks like. Because we also build, we didn't touch on it, but we build a lot of duplexes and we just started some, some multifamily buildings, but they're, I mean, they're single family attached. So some townhouse buildings, um, which are going to be great. Um, and check out our website, um, hollowmancapitalgroup.com. Um, it also has another domain because I'm the, I'm the tech guy in my office right now. So still trying to work through those speed bumps. And you can find it also at brock1.com, B-R-O-C-K, the number one.com. And one last thing, okay, I don't get free advertisement often. Uh, follow us on Instagram. We've been really trying to, to promote that over the last month or two. Um, and it's at Holloman Capital Group um, on Instagram. So, yeah, please, please join us and, or, I mean, follow us on there and check us out. We'll be happy to help you. Absolutely. So we'll go ahead and link those up in the show notes below for everybody who's listening. And Brock, I want to thank you for coming on the show today and looking forward to saving you a tremendous amount of money on taxes in the future. A hundred percent, man. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, You really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.